I'm just curious, like the strategy as, a, as an owner, number one is like, how do I, you know, what is the strategy? Number two, like, how do I execute that strategy to have it make sense? I mean, the whole idea behind this episode is, is growing my business through M&A. So that, that has an underlying assumption, which is number one, you have a strategy. This is the PMP Industry Insider Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome out to another episode of the PMP Industry Insider Podcast, where we look at what is changing in the industry. We take you to the front lines of those that are driving those changes. As always, my name is Donnie Shelton, owner of Triangle Home Services, which has Triangle Pass and Triangle Lawn. With me is the world-renowned Mr. Dan Gordon. Dan, would you like to say good morning, introduce yeah. our topic, say hello to our sponsor, and then I've got so much to talk about on this episode. So yeah, let's, let's get into it. So for anybody who's not uh, been listening, uh, Donnie has to go through everything, like say, uh, mention the sponsor, do all go through all of that. Uh, so so anyway, my give, name is Dan Gordon. I have to Gordon. give him a checklist so he doesn't forget. So. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> so uh, my name is Dan Gordon. Uh, I'm a um, managing member of PCO Bookkeepers, an accounting firm that caters to pest and lawn companies, as well as PCO M&A specialists, a firm that uh, does exit planning, uh, mergers and acquisitions uh, for uh, pest control companies and lawn companies as well. We've closed several lawn deals. Um, and um, so uh, uh, let's talk about our sponsor. Uh, um, consider supporting them. This episode is sponsored by Colmarch by Workwave. Learn more at colmarch.com. So let's talk about what our topic is today. So this is the hot, you know, everybody's talking about M&A and what multiples are and they want to sell their company and a lot of people are and whatnot. But what happens if you uh, want to expand your company by M&A and you do it versus the big boys. So um, I wrote a little paragraph. Let me read it. Um, and uh, hey, hang on, let me, but, but before you read this paragraph, ladies yes. and gentlemen, just let me, let me put the, just, this, this, a, a nice disclaimer out. This is not chat GPT generated content. I validated that and also confirmed it before we started this episode. So Dan, with that, <laughs> Yes, this is uh, a um, collection of articles that I've written, some stuff. You know, we do quite a bit. We're pretty active in the M&A market, mainly on the sell side. Um, we've, uh, over the past several years, have done close to a billion dollars in sell side transactions at some of the highest valuations in um, pest control industry history. And um, this year in particular, even though it's a slow year, we've had some pretty big deals, some blockbuster deals. Obviously, you know, some of the companies don't announce for a while, but, but you'll be you'll be hearing about um, some of them. Um, and um, so anyway, uh, OK, so we do sell side. You know, we, we, we help you sell your company if that's what you want to do. But if you don't want to do that, if you maybe want to buy. So all the big boys are doing it. The valuations can be rich, but if you want to get in the M&A game, how do you compete against the big guys and the PE firms? It's the PE firms right now that are really, really starting to drive up uh, values, whereas the uh, you know the big guys are who who were driving those values up uh, a year or two ago are kind of um, laying back, and uh, it's the PE guys. But you know, sometimes on, if but, a deal. But before go you go to that, though, sure, it is interesting. And this is, you know, again, this is just observation. I have been very um, 
surprised at how active PE has been in lawn as of late. Yeah, I mean, big so, PE. This, this, and this has been a change, right? And, and I don't know, and Dan, obviously you're a lot closer to this game than I am. I have friends and I mean, I don't do deals per se. Um, but, you know, it started with pest and we started getting really good multiples. Then we started getting tons of activities because obviously if you put multiples up, if someone's on the fence, they're like, yep, yeah, I'm out. And so we see so, an activity, but now I'm yeah. starting to see it on the lawn side. I'm like, oh my gosh, what what is going on? I even got a phone call, a couple of phone calls from my little my little lawn care company, which by the way is nothing to brag about. I love my lawn people. I don't. If anyone from our company's listening, is when I say little in comparison to the size of our pest business, it's, right, it's right. pretty small. So yeah, I mean the answer is it's interesting because when we started doing this M and A stuff over ten years ago. Um, you know, we looked at pest control and quite honestly, the way that the landscape worked was you had, you know, Terminex and Rollins, right? Those are two American companies who kind of dominated the U.S. market. And then you had Antisemex come over from Sweden, right? Mm-hmm. And they started to buy up companies. Actually, before that, you had Renekill come over from London. They started to buy up companies. And so now you've got this war between all of these big guys pushing valuations up. Now, remember, the model is 50 to 55% gross margin, you know, recurring, non-recurring is 70, 80%, whatever, right? And so it's a great business. And you've got these two foreign entities that are coming over and buying up American companies. And I always wondered, because we work with a lot of lawn care companies, the P&L is roughly the same. Is lawn care a little bit more difficult? You've got storage issues. You've got bigger equipment that break and things like that. But Okay, hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Lawn yeah. care is a lot more difficult. I'm just going to yeah. say it. Keep going. It, it, it is. <laughs> but if you look at a P&L, forget about, you know, the, yes. the, the struggle. Financially speaking, right? you're 100% correct. It's exactly the different. same. Yes, so, so, I agree with so that. So you wonder why, um, you know, why weren't the the valuations driven up. And a lot of people say, well, the attrition rate is higher in lawn care and things like that. But I look at it as, you know, you've got these four, uh, you know, call it Terminex, uh, uh, Rollins, uh, Antisemex and uh, Renekill, you know, uh, really driving this thing in the, in the, over the past several years and pushing it up. And you didn't have that in lawn. You had True Green's owned by private equity. And they were very, you know, hey, we're going to pay what we're going to pay. And that's it. Yeah. So so you're, what you're saying started, is the difference is, is competition. It's yeah, it's so, not necessarily the financials. And it's funny because True Green is not, um, you know, they're not doing the kind of M&A that they were doing a few years ago because they were the only game in town. You right. now have several PE firms that are rolling it up and rolling it up quickly. And the valuations are significantly higher more than double what they were a year, a year and a half ago. Well, so that's, I, I, that's I will, really I will say this. If someone could have recorded my face when I got a phone call about my lawn care, I'm like, what? These, these, <laughs> the by last the way, phone these, call I expected to get. <laughs> these PE firms are so aggressive, so much more aggressive than the strategics. You know, you'll get yes. a letter from Rollins. You'll get a yeah. letter from... But these guys are at the meetings. They are, you know, uh, we do lots of business with them. So I don't mean to insult them. They're very smart guys, but, you know, they're not industry people. They're financial people. Yeah, and they're spreadsheet. They people. are. Yeah. And they are aggressive. 
which bodes well for you if you want to sell your lawn care company or pest company because they're very active in pest as well. But uh, anyway, let me finish. Yeah, let's up. get in so, it. Yeah, let's get in it. So, uh, how do you compete against the big boys and the PE firms? Sometimes, if a deal is small, it may be unattractive to the larger players, or sometimes there may be problems with the business that a local operator could cure with some time and effort. But the larger guys just don't want to be bothered with it, right? So today, let's talk about how to go about purchasing one of these companies, right? So a lot of a lot of what I do is on the sell side. We, like I said, we are you know inundated with with work. Last several years have been busier than heck, but we also do um, um, you know we'll also do buy side uh, due diligence. So if you find a target. We'll uh, go through the process with you, and we just we we don't take a commission. We we charge an hourly or a fixed fee to do that work, um, and so that is a good way of expanding. So, um, so anyway, today okay. let's talk about uh, how to purchase one of these companies. The M and A process can be complex, involves several stages from beginning to end, but it's a process with multiple steps. So let's ex- explore the process from beginning right. to end. Let me expand a little bit on what you just said there, because I think it's important. Number one, um, for for listeners out there, I view M&A as an owner, meaning as a buyer, as I would marketing on the digital side, mainly because, you know, I, obviously everyone knows I, I grew up on the digital and I say grew up, meaning I grew our business with with digital. And, and what that means is, is that you're not going to fight Goliath in hand-to-hand combat. So meaning that you're, I'm not going to go against Orkin. I'm not going to go against Rent-A-Kill. If I have a target company and it comes out to who can stroke the largest check, I'm going down every time. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I am going that, down every single time. So, right. so what that means is, is that if you want to do M&A, which I think is a lot of opportunity to do that, you have to play a different game, right? Because you can't, and I mean, and, and Dan was 100% correct that there are some targets out there that, these larger companies are not going to want to deal with. Like they're not going to want to deal with small companies, usually like under a million. Maybe they will. It's kind of rare. They they're will, gonna... but sometimes scratch and dents, like I've talked to, you know, the MA directors at all the big guys, and they used to buy companies that were, you know, having problems, big problems to turn them around. And it didn't work, right? So they want good company. They'd rather have good companies that you, you know, and pay up for them so that right. they don't have to do that kind of thing. So yeah. that leaves an opportunity for you, the small guy, to be able to do some turnarounds. But Donnie, you did uh, a, a small one a long time ago, and you know, oh that was gosh, a turnaround. And here, why don't you? Yeah, so story? even though this isn't in the script, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, story time. No, so I will tell you, I have done a few of these. When I say a few, I think maybe four, five, maybe. I have to think back. And I've had some. I've I've had one that I recently did that I learned, I mean, this is like most things, right? When you, when you make all the mistakes in the book, even a blind squirrel gets lucky every now and then. My latest one has been fantastic. It has been a great fit. It's worked really well. It's, it's enhanced our business. Great. I've had others that were so bad, so bad that I literally gave it back and said, please just, just take it. (laughs) It's like, and, uh, and, you know, and I've had some in between, you know, I've had some that I've done, um, where it, you know, it worked, it was okay. It wasn't great, but, but, you know, here's what I will tell you. The biggest thing I have learned in M&A is at least for me, if you're going to take on a smaller company, you really need to make sure. And, you know, Jack Welch said this and 
I probably should have listened because I heard him, but I didn't pay attention to him, meaning I read it in the book. He said, you know, the worst acquisitions I ever did. And if you don't know who Jack Welch was, he's a CEO of GE, led it to be a multi-billion dollar company, yada, yada, yada. You know, he said the worst acquisitions I ever did were ones where the culture was not aligned with our culture. And I can amen brother that one because the one that I gave back, the customers were all old. None of them had a credit card on file. It was such a disaster trying to integrate that company. Like we never really got there. And one day, like a year into it, I realized 80% of our time on our team was focused on something that we could sell out. Like this, this acquisition was so small, we could sell the number of accounts that we bought in one month just on online. And I'm like, we're done. This is it. Right. Like I brought the old owner back and I'm like, do you want this company back? He's like, yeah. I'm like, great. Take it. It's all yours. <laughs> walked away. There, there are certain things that you can correct, like bad routing, right. even bad employees, but uh, your customers, if they're not the right customers, if they won't buy into your programs and if they won't buy into your pricing, Pricing is a very difficult problem to fix. The others you can fix, right? So if you're looking at a company that's not making any money and going, yeah, this is a great deal. And then you look at it and you say, well, it's because they're charging $50 an hour instead of 150. That one's a difficult one because you're going to have to get it up to that 150 or whatever your acceptable dollar per, per hour is. And in doing so, you know, when you start doubling people's prices or giving them a 25 or 30% increase, yeah, sometimes it doesn't go well. No, it does. It does. And and I just I will contrast with another one that I did, which was, you know, in this case, the seller, I knew the I personally knew the seller, and he legitimately designed his business for us for the his last three years before he wanted to retire. And that, you know, the service programs are very much alike, you know, customers are on credit cards, they were used to monthly billing, they were doing triennial service. All the things that we do as a business, he was already doing. And that one was a big success. And so I think probably the, the the main takeaway from this is, you know, as we get into this, because I think this is a great topic of how do you play in this game? I, that would be my thing that I have learned the most, which is if the culture isn't like if your customer culture is not line, aligned, if your employee culture, employees are a little different, right? Because you can... Sometimes if you if it's small enough, you can do a tuck in. You may not have to retain any of them. But the reality of it is, is if your customers aren't like a part of your culture, part of your system, it's going to be a very difficult process to get it turned around. So with that, Dan, walk us through. Okay, so I want to I want to tuck in a few smaller companies. I want to go out and I want to expand my business this way. Let's start with first of all, how do I find those opportunities? And then let's get into the nuts and bolts of how you do that. So I like I like finding uh, opportunities uh, through networking at you know the trade associations, state trade associations. But one of the uh, best source for these are your distributors. You know the the Forshaws, the Targets, the all of those guys, uh, Viserys. They deal with all of these smaller companies and they know who they are. So the, um, I've seen a lot of deals go through. Um, you know where the rep, the chemical rep. Uh, actually uh, sources it. Um, but, you know, once you meet somebody, well, what, what's the first thing that you do? Well, you're going to ask for some pretty confidential information and they're, they have to be willing to give that over. So the first thing you want to do is have a non-disclosure agreement. And they got to be able to you. trust you. They got to be able to trust you. And by the way, I've seen NDAs 
work um, very well. But even with big deals, I've seen them not work. I've I've seen leaks and you know things right. like that, and 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 it's not good. But at least if you have this, and <clears throat> really, I like to um, have that uh, non-disclosure regarding the information. But more importantly, if I'm going to go into due diligence or I'm going to talk to you about your customers or your uh, employees, I want to make sure that you can't touch any of them. So. That, um, you know, that that uh, NDA has to have a non-solicit built into it. So that's, uh, um, you know, one of those things. So, um, so, you know, just, so, for, so just for our NDA, listeners, hang on, just for our listeners, NDA is non-disclosure agreement. Basically, what an NDA says is that we're going to have this discussion <clears throat> and no actions, no disclosures, no nothing from this discussion legally can be done. You were agreeing legally that I'm not going to discuss this with anyone. I'm not going to. And, and, and what Dan said is a non-solicitation. I'm not going to solicit. Like Once I learn all about your business, I can't take that information and either disclose it to other people or use it to an advantage. And and, it, and it's, a, it, it's a contract between both parties. And so just to make sure everyone, I understand a lot of people under, know what an NDA is, but there's some who don't and don't understand like the purpose behind it because they'll go in with an and start talking without any protections, right? Like, oh yeah, we can talk about that. It's like, don't do that. So. Well, the the other thing is you get some of these guys who um, who go to the meetings, the PE guys, some of the, the uh, guys who are trying to source companies and they start making offers before they even have any information. It's, yeah. it's, it's ridiculous. But, yes. but so that NDA allows you to, once that's in place, that allows you to discuss anything, to, to uh, talk about, you know, the... Um, um, you know, the, the, the deep dive that you're going to do. So, um, you know, once you have enough interest um, between them, then, you know, uh, as part of the analysis, you have to do a deep dive. And usually you have a questionnaire. <clears throat> and if you're interested, we do this kind of work and we can get you some questionnaires, but uh, just let us know. And th the questionnaire basically um, gets you information. You know, if you buy a car or a truck, you have tires, you can kick the tires, you can you know, look at the truck, you can see dents, you can see scratches, but you're buying an intangible business. There's no tires to kick. There's no dents to, to look at and that kind of thing. It's an intangible. So you have to be able to go under the hood and look at the financials, look at the information coming out of their CRM, that kind of thing. So um, once you get that LO, or I'm sorry, that NDA, then you uh, do a deep dive uh, with questionnaire. Now, based can, on I just, can I just add something here, Dan, ahead. because yeah, I think yeah. this is really important. On smaller companies, <clears throat> especially as you go through this process of, you know, they call it due diligence, okay? It's part of you kind of digging in and understanding what the business is about. I will tell you, there's two things I will say, two cautions I would give. Number one, the owner may not know what's really going on. Ah. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. Don't I take see. anything for granted. If you yeah. get this questionnaire back and it looks so pretty, like I'm just telling you, the owner doesn't always know what is going on. So that's kind of my first disclaimer is, you know, make sure that you get multiple opinions, you know, as you did. That, no, that, it's a great point. And, and even when the big guys are going to buy, like we will prepare, we, it's not just a deep dive, but we prepare like a booklet, a marketing document. Uh, to to put out to market, and when we do that, and we ask for information from the owner, 
oh, well, I'll just ask my assistant. Well, no, right. your assistant can't find out about it because this right. is all secret and whatnot. Right. And you're absolutely right. The owner may not really know what's going on in their business. So right. usually in a small business, though, if you're going to buy a small, like one or two routes or something, the owner's involved with everything. So yep. um, it is, it know, is. I'm, I'm just uh, telling you though, even, even at that level, I would still, yeah. that's my one disclaimer. The second thing I will tell you is, and, and by the way, I am guilty of this. So before I say this, don't go thinking that I'm sitting on some high horse and I'm in my ivory tower and I'm, I've got all this wisdom. I've, I've got stupidity. And so hopefully all of you can benefit from my stupidity tax. The second thing is I did an acquisition one time without physically going and sitting at the branch. Now I had some folks on my team do that, but I did not do that. And so my second thing would be, and I know that sounds obvious, but if you do business in multiple states or in multiple cities, sometimes it's like, oh yeah, you know, I'll, I, I look at all that I need, I, I've seen everything I needed to see. I've done everything I needed to do on that acquisition that I did with, um, without going there and physically like looking at everything. Um, by the way, I got saved. And by the way, and this is not Dan, you can pay me after this episode when I say this. Dan and I did this deal together and we built a huge safety margin and we thought for sure that it was way conservative and that I wouldn't need it. And I used every bit of it. Like I remember, you know what deal I'm talking about, Dan, I'm not going (laughs) to, but I I guess my point is, is like we had a lot of accounts that were, they called them saves or like cancel saves or so. so basically people would cancel but they wouldn't cancel them. They would say, well, we're going to give you free service for six months or eight months or even a year. And they were showing on the books as actual legitimate customers. And so had I gone there and actually pulled the list and done a few and done some talking, I would have realized that they were like, again, luckily stepped in a pile of crap and came out smelling like a rose, but, but you know, that may not always be the case. And so, so number one is, is that, you know, disclaimer is when you do the deep dive, the owner may not know what's going on. Number two, you need to physically go there and just make sure you're validating what you are being told, you know, from the, from the financials, from, from, you know, the, the downloads from the, you know, as far as customer database, those types of things, you really need to make sure that you, I mean, the due diligence part, I know this sounds obvious, but sometimes it's easy to sit back. I, and, I highly recommend that you have an accountant. Uh, 100%. Dive with you. So, uh, yeah. so anyway, right. you get this deep dive, you, you get a lay of the land, you understand their revenue, their recurring versus non-recurring, how many trucks they have, uh, everything about the company. And then it's time to make an offer. And the offer is done in what they call a letter of intent. Basically, it's just a letter. Hey, I'm offering to buy your company. It's uh, non-binding. Um, and there are certain things, basically, you know, there's many elements to negotiate besides the money, right? And and you, you got to be really careful because sometimes people get blinded by the money, but some of the legal, the indemnities and things, that's the, those are things that are hanging out to dry. But here, I made a list of uh, things that go into a letter of intent. And again, you can contact us and we can put this up on the uh, on the website. But key can, elements. Can I, that can you I add think... one thing to this that you're talking yeah. about, Dan? Because you, yeah. you saying this just reminded me of something. I have seen. First of all, this letter intent in my mind is probably one of the most important parts of of doing M and A because this what you're doing is you're creating a construct, and once it goes to the attorneys, they're going to use the construct to decide and determine how much you pay and what the deal is going to look like. So 
if it's in your court to create this construct, you really need to think that through. And I have seen some large companies use this as a, I almost would say a marketing tool. <laughs> they will well, throw out this ridiculous number that they're going to pay you. And then you start digging into the LOI and you realize, huh, yeah, that, that, that's probably not going to happen. Hmm. Well, that's really tight. Like, and so essentially, like if you're, you know, some people would look at that and be like, oh my gosh, look at this multiple. And you start digging into the details and you're not getting that multiple. The, 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 the bigger and out and everything else. But, <laughs> exactly. But, uh, so basically, if you're selling your company, the buyer usually does the LOI. Correct. Yes. Again, we're going to be the buyer. This LOI, as I said, it's nine binding and things can be negotiated, but when the when the lawyers get together and uh, create the contract, they go back to this LOI Correct. for anything that's unclear. So, um, so here's here's where we're at, right? So the first thing, introduction, begin the letter by stating the purpose of the letter and providing a brief overview. The second is um, buyer and seller information include all of the uh, legal names of the buyer and seller. Um, purchase price. State the purchase price that the buyer is offering to pay for the business. Uh, like Donnie said, there could be multiple elements, right? So I'm going to pay you a million dollars for this business, but I'm going to give you the opportunity to earn out another 300000 Or I'm going to give you a million dollars on this business contingent upon you doing 800000 of recurring revenue or something of that sort, right? So the purchase price isn't always just a dollar figure. It could include a an attrition clause. It could include include a earnout clause, and those are things that you want to watch. The next is the payment terms, and that would be an initial deposit, um, you know, subsequent payments, um, contingencies based on attrition and or uh, earnout. But you know, those those are. Uh, Pieces that can be part of it, but don't need to. We've seen deals that are 100% cash up. That's it. The two owners knew each other very well. They knew the accounts. And um, maybe they got a good deal and it was 100% cash walk away. That's not usual, but it, it does happen. So the next one is uh, the assets to be included. Describe the assets, right? It's going to be your customer list. It's going to be your uh, accounts receivable, your inventory, uh, any of the assets, usually in pest control, we do what we call cash-free, debt-free. So you take out the cash from the bank account and you have to deliver all the vehicles and the company debt-free. So you're going to have to pay all those off and you can pay them off at close, right? But that's usually what you'll do. Um, and, um, you know, uh, is there any furniture? Uh, you know, is there any equipment? Wh whatever you're, whatever you're going to include in the deal, um, Assets to be included. Liabilities. Describe any liabilities that you're willing to assume. Sometimes you can assume a truck lease instead of doing cash-free, debt-free. You can re reduce the purchase price by that amount, and then you take over the payments. Um, and then there's going to be a space for you to say, okay, this is all what we're going to do subject to due diligence. And then you give it a due diligence period. It can be 45, 60 days, whatever. And within that, due diligence. Basically, what you're going to do is you're going to set up a data room, a, an electronic data room. And we do this for our clients all the time. And then within that data room, there are going to be certain requests that they want to see. And there's going to be folders. So, you know, I'll go into what is in the due diligence in a minute. But, um, you know, 
you're basically in the LOI saying, hey, we're going to go through due diligence. We have 45 to 60 days or whatever to do it. Uh, and we're allowed access to anything and everything that we want. Okay. Uh, also confidentiality, you want another NDA, um, you know, in the, in the letter of intent, because you're really going to do that deep dive. And then something called exclusivity. Basically, once you sign this LOI, I'm going to give you, or I want exclusive rights to negotiate and make this deal happen. You can't be running around trying to negotiate another deal with another uh, person, right? So that's so, that, that exclusivity. We usually see ninety to one hundred and twenty days. Okay. I was going to say, and explain why that's important because I think this is a really important point of the. Well, it's, it's important because I'm going to pay my accountant. I'm going to pay my lawyer. I'm going to put in a bunch of time to do your due diligence. And if you're double dealing, that's not fair, right? If right. I'm going to put up all this expense, I want to be able to go through the process. Right. And maybe it doesn't work out and that's fine. And after that, then it's not exclusive anymore. But if it does work out, I, I don't want to have to be looking over my shoulder. Correct. Yep. No, that is important okay. because it's just a massive a amount of time and money. You know, when you, when you go to purchase a company, everyone goes down the chute and it is, you know, it, it's, it's disappointing when you go this far down and the deal doesn't work out because that's a lot of time and money, you know, time with attorneys. And, yeah. I mean, yeah. it is, and it does happen. I mean, it, it absolutely does oh, happen and there's good reasons. Had, yeah. We've had deals fall through for, for various reasons, um, you know, and so um, you've, you know, um, you've, you've really got to make sure that uh, you've got it together and that you're protecting yourself because you're expending a whole bunch of time and effort and money to, to make this thing happen. So real quick, before we get into due diligence and before, you know, now that we're kind of finishing up the LOI, one of the things that I just want to make sure that, you know, for our listeners, what do you think? Okay. I would, I would say, you know, the vast majority, I mean, there's what five, maybe big PE firms. There's probably three big, kind of traditional companies that are doing the buying. I mean, there's some, there's, there's a ton buying. of PE firms. Just, I just don't know how many are. Yeah. Serious, you're right. There's like five or yeah, yeah. players. And then you've got these, but there's regionals. probably a hundred of them. Yeah. Yeah. So. And then you've got these regionals that are, you know, are doing deals like, <laughs> like what we're talking about right now. If I'm a smaller company, you know, and let's just say I start talking to um, my distributor, I'm talking to you, I'm talking to an accountant. I mean, it doesn't matter. Folks who are connected with people who may be interested in getting out. Um, <clears throat> what what specifically should I be looking for? You know, like, like, you know, am I looking for companies that, or, I mean, we talked about the whole culture fit thing. You know, are we looking for companies that, um, that are doing past? Are we doing loan? I mean, there's obviously, you know, commercial, you know, I'm just curious, like the strategy as, a, as an owner Number one is like, how do I, you know, what is the strategy? Number two, like, how do I execute that strategy to have it make sense? I mean, the whole idea behind this episode is, is growing my business through M&A. So that, that has an underlying assumption, which is number one, you have a strategy. Yeah, one, one of the <laughs> things that, uh, you know, it used to be in the back of the magazines, but now it's, uh, you know, that, um, you know, you'd see an ad uh, company, well-established company for 20 years doing a hundred thousand dollars and you look at right, it and right. you go, okay, what have you been doing for 20 years? Right. right. So there's a reason why people are small and it's not always that they're incompetent or, or that it's a bad company. Although a lot of times it is, it could be 
a lifestyle business. There's two ways to make a lot of money in pest control, right? One is stay small, run the routes, do the whole thing you want. And the other is to grow big, right? And you get some guys and gals who are not interested in, in growing the thing. They want to work life balance. They, they, you know, make good money doing what they're doing. The value of their business isn't that great, but the, the, the income can be great. So right. they create a cash business. Yeah. And if you run into one of these, that's a good one, right? Maybe somebody who's done it and now is ready to retire. And that's a nice business. Um, Turnarounds are difficult. Remember, you can turn anything around, except pricing is a very difficult one to turn around. But if you can do that, that's great too. Any other red flags you can think of besides pricing? Because I agree with you. Pricing is good. Culture is good. I I know in our case, you know, the one that, that failed meaning that the one I gave it back, the one of the biggest challenges that we had was was payment. You know, we are very automated at Triangle. And by the way, I don't if anyone listens to this podcast, you know we're we're a dumpster fire hot mess just like everyone else. So I don't want to make anyone think that we got it all figured out. But but we do we do credit card billing, we do monthly billing and we do triennial service. And we had a really big problem with it, these customers. They did not want to pay until after the service was completed. And even then they didn't want to pay. And then it was 60 days later after that. And yeah. so it was just a really big challenge, you know, for, so for us, it was like, if you're not on credit cards, if you're not doing monthly billing, maybe, but probably not. And I'm not telling you don't do a deal. If it, I'm not saying it at all, right. Some companies it's perfectly fine. as how they operate. But for us, we had already gone so far down the road going that way it was a huge distraction again nothing wrong with that model nothing wrong with buying a business that way it was just for us we were way down the road with credit cards and monthly billing and it just it was just a huge distraction. any other red flags that you can think of well, there's, that- there's two so i've been doing you know i've been in the industry for a very long time almost 30 years and there's two major innovations that happened in this industry the first one was termite baits that turned the industry on, up on, on and the second is monthly credit card billing or, you know, budget plans, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where the entire industry is going. And you're going to find that over the, the next several years that everybody's going to be like that because carrying accounts receivable sucks, right? It you, does. You, you, well, you, you're worried about payday, you know, how, how do I make payroll? How do I make, do the sales? You know, all of this stuff. So this monthly billing is outstanding. So if you can get like an old time player who hasn't bought into it, You've got to look at those customers. Will they buy into it? Because mm-hmm. it's important that you uh, do that. Uh, lack of profitability is a red flag because that means that your pricing's bad. Most people, in order to have people work for you, you've got to pay them a, a, a reasonable uh, wage. So you're probably paying the reasonable wage. The other thing that's a big, big red flag, check out and see how they're paying their employees. If they are skirting minimum wage and or the the um, outside sales exemption that you know is allowable in certain states, oh, if gosh. they're paying their technicians in cash after overtime, there's a million different things, right? If you don't structure this thing properly and that's going on, you could be taking on the liability, um, you know, from from the government. Well, I want to add one caveat that you said to profitability. Um, <clears throat> It most likely is pricing. However, there could be a case where, you know, Bobby's uncle and his brother and then, you know, Bobby's wife works for the, and, and so they're paying all their family yep. and the pricing is fine. 
and you can clean it up by just taking the accounts and yeah, you that, immediately that, get a bit a benefit. But just pay attention is all I would say. That's a good situation. But but yeah. that whole um uh making sure that payment is being made properly, you know, yes. that everybody's not on a 1099. Correct. That, you know, we're not after 40 hours, I pay cash or, you know, you get a cash bonus. Be, be, be really careful with that stuff because you're going to, you know, depending on how you structure the deal and, and I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but I've worked on enough of them, but I'm not going to give you legal advice. I can tell you that it's a big deal for the big, big guys when they come across a, um, a company that's doing great and everything looks great, except that, that how they pay their technicians is illegal. You look, you can Google Rollins or Terminex or Renekill. They've all had class action lawsuits against them based on improper payment. And then when the Department of Labor comes in, it gets really ugly. So just yeah. that that's, that's one of the big ones. So we're getting close to the end here. We got through, you know, strategy we got through why you would want to do this we got through an nda and an loi can you just talk through like you know the the mechanics of doing a basic deal after that and then yeah, so we can let, come let's on talk another. about let's talk about a diligence real quickly i have 13 Super diligence fair. points yep where we're going to set up this data vault and each folder the folder names are going to be the organization that's going to be your corporate papers you know your certificate of organization whatnot office lease do you have it is it with a third party or maybe you own the building or whatever vehicles i want a list of vehicles make model year you know any loan or lease balances and the mileage uh operations i want to see your licenses i want to see your ops manuals if they're available approved chemical lists list of equipment that kind of thing um <clears throat> if they'll give it to you it i want your crm credentials your pest packs or sweet um you know pest routes and whatnot and i want your quickbooks credentials some people won't give it to you you just say okay then i want you to pull these certain reports uh any committed contracts that you have do you have a copier lease that goes out for three years that kind of thing any customers that need assignment, right? That you can't just, you know, you have big commercial accounts and you can't just flip them. They need to approve those. Uh, we'd like to see the insurance, uh, the, the loss runs for the past three years. Are you guys running around playing, uh, you know, demolition derby or, you know, do you, do you practice safe driving habits and things like that? Uh, employee benefits. What does your benefit program look like? Want to see your income tax returns, your sales tax returns, your payroll tax returns. I want to know about any litigation or pending lawsuits, any violations with local government or regulators. So this is a, a real deep dive, this, um, you know, this uh, uh, due diligence. So any environmental inquiries, like what, what's going on? Have you had any spills or anything? And then finally, but, but probably first is the banking. I want to see your bank statements. I want to see your sales journals, any accountants reports on financials, any attrition report that can tell me all of that. And all that stuff's going to be put into this data room. And again, when we do sell side, we we do that for our clients. On buy side, we also set it up and make the requests for the targets. So you, you can do that. And once we get through the diligence, let's say that everything checks out, then we say, okay, we're good. Let's go. And then the attorneys start uh, the uh, definitive agreement. And that's where you know, you'll get some negotiation and, uh, you know, attorneys like to, um, Oh, this is the best part of the deal earning their money. Right. Right. Yeah. This so, is, this is where everyone loves each other. Yeah. By the way, um, I always tell people there's something called deal fatigue and it happens and it's real. And it, it, by the end, everybody's like, screw it up. I just don't want to do it. I don't, you know, this is, 
this is a horrible experience and whatnot, but at the end it, it all works out. But so yeah. another, anyway. I was going to say just another thing to add to this. So, so a couple of thoughts I had as you were talking, number one, in due diligence, Dan is right. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there that you would look at for these smaller deals. You know, one of the things that we did, and you can, and again, I'm not giving legal advice, so I'm not telling you back up everything I say, get an attorney to actually dig into this. So, but you know, if you're doing a tuck in, meaning that you're just going to take the accounts, you can get a good attorney to firewall a lot of these things because you're not picking up the company, right? You're not going, all you're doing are buying accounts and get a good, get a good attorney to kind of firewall a lot of that stuff for you. I'm not telling you a firewall can't be broken and it can't be. Um, no, you're, you're absolutely right. So but that's, if, that's a if, good way of if, doing, especially on these smaller deals, right? Yeah. If, if you're not willing, like the records aren't available because you're a small Correct. company and, you know, yes. like even, you know, bank statements you want to see, but let's say they're not available. You structure the deal as an earn out, right? I'm yep. going to give you a certain amount of money each month yep. based on the revenue. And I don't really need to see your bank statements because if I don't get revenue, I don't pay you, right? So there, yep. you're right. You can definitely firewall a bunch of these, but uh, those so, are the- Well, the second thing I was going to say out of this that, you know, now we're talking about getting, you know, once you go and we're getting towards the end here, but but we talk about the purchase agreement and the disclosure state, basically getting the attorneys involved in, in this whole attorney fatigue and deal fatigue that, that Dan's talking about. Some things I have learned. Number one, you and the owner or the buyer or whomever, the seller, you need to be buds, period, dot. Like you need to have conversations where you, no one's involved, okay? Meaning that I just, I say, and, you know, there's low trust and because what's going to happen is attorneys are going to plant seeds in your brain you never even knew existed. Attorneys are going to yeah. plant scenarios in your brain that, I mean, you would think that someone is like legitimately looking. I mean, it's almost like you're going to lose money just by even talking to those people. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's the mindset. Well, you well, get think about the- how many, how many, this is a, well, it's a good example, but how many divorces uh, start out as, okay, we're going to do everything in a friendly manner and everything. And we'll, we'll just split everything. And then the lawyers get involved and oh. it just turns into a dumpster fire. Well, and, 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 that's- that, and that's the whole point I want to make here is that you need to be buds with the buyer or the seller. You need to have converse. And, and here's what I will tell you, something I have learned that I've done at least off the top of my head, I know at least four deals and the best ones are where I know the owner or the buyer or whatever. And and we get on a call with the attorneys and 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 we go through because what's going to happen is you're going to throw out an agreement. The other attorney is going to contest it and say, oh, my gosh, look at all this. So one sided. And it may very well be. And then there's going to be this part where you're going to have to start horse trading where you have to start figuring out, like, what are we going to do? And the best thing that you can do in those scenarios is create a conference call. You get that person's attorney, you, the buyer, seller, whatever, and their attorney. Everyone's on the call and you go buy it item by item. Cause otherwise what happens is that you're going to sit there and you're going to spend a boatload of money. You're going to be super frustrated. The deal is going to drag on and on and on. And you may not get out of it what you want versus like, you know, the way I did it in the past was I would get the initial thing from the attorneys. I would call the owner or seller or whatever and say, Hey man, let's go through this. What are you thinking on this? What can we do this? And we would kind of come up with this kind of, you know, napkin agreement. And then we'd call the attorneys and we say, this is what we're doing. And then it just all gets settled because otherwise 
I swear, man, it's like the freaking scene from the Lord well. A good Rangers. attorney will separate legal issues and business issues, and business issues are everything. They'll throw them back at you and say, "Hey, you yeah. got to negotiate this." Yeah. The legal issues—that's what you want them to negotiate. The correct. I agree with that. Like that. So, and it gets really muddy. So yeah, yeah, really emotional. Very emotional. <laughs> yes, and that's. Uh, but it, a, a really good deal is one where everybody's a little pissed off at the end, and. Uh, you know that that that's that's been my experience. You're right. Yeah, that's so that's so true. <laughs> so anyway, okay. So we get this uh, contract. It goes back and forth to the attorneys. Everything's good. We 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 and, and I'm you know we're hurrying through this. It usually takes several back and forths. It's a tennis match. Don't get um don't uh get don't take it personally when you start to see things that you're like, wow, I built this company from scratch and I'm not going to, don't worry about it. The lawyers have a way of really, uh, you know, so that's why you get uh, in a room with the seller, like Donnie said, and kind of just, you know, say, okay, well, this is what we want to do. So then finally, when everything is good, we have a closing. Usually uh, the closing could be take place at, at a lawyer's office. It could take place anywhere you want. Uh, most of the big ones that we do are all online, right? All the mm -hmm. signatures are electronics and money gets wired, but it doesn't have to be that way. You could go down and pick up a check, a certified check or whatever, and get that done. So, uh, and then uh, the big thing is the integration, post-merger integration. And that's where uh, the Jack Welsh uh, axiom comes up, that if, if the cultures don't line up, it's going to be bad, right? Because... What you're going to do is you're taking on a bunch of technicians who uh, supposedly know your way of doing things and uh, maybe managers or salespeople. And you may have to um, make adjustments to their, you know, how they do business. And, and so that uh, integration goes on for quite a while. And depending on how the contract is written, there may be some money riding on how mm -hmm. you do over the next year. And so the buyer and seller have to be on the same page, you know, okay, uh, you're going to get dinged if we don't do certain numbers, but I'm going to change things up so I control it. You know? Yeah, so you gotta, that, that, you that's a really important like point. And again, I know we're getting at the end here, but something to really think about, which is, yeah, you're given over control, but you also have money riding on performance. And, you know, there are stupid buyers and there are stupid sellers. I mean, just yeah. period dot that, that do dumb things. And just, I think we could spend a whole episode on just talking about integrations because they are so, yeah. they're so easy to screw up and so hard to get right. But they, if you do them right, yeah, it, it, it's, it's fantastic. They're just, they're hard to do. So, yeah. all right. Anything else before we finish out here, Dan? I think that's it. Uh, right. We kind of had a, a jam packed uh, episode. Uh, if there's anything, um, that uh, we'll, we'll put some of these uh, I'll put these notes up on the uh, website. Yeah, I think that's good. Yeah. So just a reminder for those that are, I mean, just a reminder that all the resources and we'll put up some notes from this episode as well. It's available on the podcast website, pmpindustryinsider.com. Just take a look under show notes for this episode. As always, we appreciate any support that you give us. Dan and I are highly compensated for this podcast, meaning that we don't get compensated. So we absolutely love ratings, reviews, um, complaints go to Dan, uh, good reviews go on there. Otherwise, um, I'd say that's, that's pretty good. And as always, um, 
you know, if you, uh, you know, our goal legitimately with the podcast is just to help folks in the industry. So if you share it or uh, tell others about it, we'd greatly appreciate it. And with that, we're going to sign off. We'll see you all next time. Take care now. Thank you. All right.